0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. So I want to review a little bit what
1: we've done up to this point. And uh, before I was president of the Southern Baptist Convention, several years ago I was first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, if you're wondering what the first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention does, the answer is even less than the vice president of the United States. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a title with no responsibilities at all. I had been training for that my whole life. Uh, it was an ideal situation for me. But, in, but we've got the Peter Principle at work here where I've been promoted to the level of my incompetence. And um, we'll try to survive somehow or another um, so um anyway, as first vice president, though, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, when I was first vice president, was Fred Luter. Fred Luter was the first African American president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a big historic moment, uh, and um, Fred pastors the uh um, Oh my goodness, Franklin, Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, I knew it was an avenue, Franklin Avenue Baptist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, if you attend one of his services, he'll make people say stuff, so I'm going to make you say something, and that's because Fred's rubbed off on me a little bit, okay, so we're going to act like we're black Baptists for just a second, and I'm going to make you talk. And I just want us to reiterate very quickly what we've talked about already. So the first thing, we spent a whole time talking about having been born again and how that leads to a new life. So I just want you to say, we have a new life. Let's say that. We have a new life, okay? The second thing that we learned about was in this new life, we have a relationship with God the Father, where in addition to all the other things that He does for us, He protects us, okay? So, I'm going to have you say, the Father is our protector. So, the Father is our protector. So, we have a new life. life. The Father is our protector. The protector. The The Son is our boss. Okay, there you go, very good. Now, we're going to take a look at the role of the Holy Spirit and uh, that's so important for us. So we're in Galatians chapter 5, and um, I'm going to call your attention uh, to verse 16 and following. Galatians 5:16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Actions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you in the past, you know, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Okay? So... I don't know if anything deep and profound will come out of this maybe in a little bit, but let's just do some things that are simple and surface level. What we've looked at here on the whole, it's a contrast between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. If you're deciding who you get to be next door neighbors with, How many of you want to be next door neighbors with somebody who's practicing the deeds of the flesh? All right, nobody's moving to Las Vegas. How many of you want to be next door neighbors, would rather be next door neighbors with somebody characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? All right, so that's a pretty strong verdict. If you're trying to decide where you're going to attend church, deeds of the flesh or fruit of the spirit. Which one are you looking for in a church? Fruit of the Spirit. Okay. People who are practicing the deeds of the flesh would rather go to church with people who have the fruit of the spirit. Because it's not enjoyable to be in a church. No matter what your personal spiritual disposition is, it's not it's not enjoyable to be in a church that's marked by carousing or drunkenness or outbursts of anger or rivalries and factions and all that sort of thing, okay? So, so this contrast is a stark contrast. We like to think that the difference between the two, if you've got a neighbor on one side who's the works of the flesh, a neighbor on the other side who's love, joy, peace, and all that stuff. If you have a church on one side of town that acts one way, and a church on the other side of town that acts the other way. What we like to think is, that's because this neighbor over here is a better person than this person over here on the other side. Or that church over there, that church has better people in it than the church that has trouble all the time, okay? But that's not the way Scripture describes it. But instead, what the Bible tells us is that flesh is something that we all have i mean it's important the the niv took the word flesh and started rendering it as the sinful nature and that ain't wrong and i'm not saying that's a bad translation but i will say that there's probably something to the fact that god chose to characterize our sinful nature by saying that it was the meat on our bones something inherent to who we are. Baptist Faith and Message says that we are born with a nature and an environment inclined toward sin. And that as soon as we can at all manage it we figure out how to become actual transgressors who act on a nature and an environment inclined toward sin. And so all those bad things are, we're told, The natural, they're the works of the meat on your bones. They're the works of the flesh. They are the natural outcome of what sinful people do. What do good people do? The works of the flesh. Just like bad people do. So the difference is, something other than you from outside of you Changes you to be different from what you would naturally be on your own. The fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. Now I want to tell you, you know the Pentecostals make fun of Southern Baptists all the time. (laughs) And one of the things that they'll say about us is that we don't really have any doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Charismatics Pentecostals will say... Baptists believe in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Uh, You know, they don't really have any room for the Spirit. And I'll tell you, I I think they're wrong. Maybe you're not surprised that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention thinks that Southern Baptists are right. But um, I, I, I think there's a misunderstanding there. And I want to explain to you what I think the nature of the misunderstanding is we have a very robust doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's just that it's not principally found in the way people act during a worship service. Our doctrine of the Holy Spirit is found in our view of the local church in, but also outside of, the worship service time. Well, our, Our view is that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit affects a committee meeting, or a business meeting, or a Sunday school class fellowship, or the way we interact with a new visitor who comes in and sits in your seat, or whatever else. Yeah, come sit down in your seat. They need to make a new song for that. Try that in a small church Uh, (laughs) instead of try that in a small town. I'm stealing. I saw that on the internet. I'm stealing that. But but. It is in those practical matters of the Christian life that we see the Baptist doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And it's very much caught up in what I'm reading about here today. So what we want is for the Spirit of God to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit of God. We're going to take just a few minutes here We're supposed to be done at one. i got 19 minutes. I'm going to run very quickly through the fruit of the Spirit, and then I'm going to give you all time to ask, anything that you want to ask. I want to give you Q&A time. You can ask whatever. Um, I have more cattle names if you'd like to hear uh, some of those, or you can ask Southern Baptist stuff, or you can ask things about what we talked about. I think there are three groups of three in the fruit of the Spirit. I think they're all important. Love, joy, peace. Patients, they all know the song, love, joy, peace, peace, patience, well, a youth guy can teach it to you. Uh, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, and peace are things that sit in your heart. Okay, They're 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 a basic disposition that you have that serve as the foundation of the other things that come out of that, okay? So love, when there is love in your heart, that is a disposition for you where your default thing is to care about the other people who are around you. In the place of love, the default position of the flesh is selfishness, where you can care about you But the Spirit of God replaces selfishness with love so that you care about the people who are around you. You care about what happens with other people. Joy. Joy is a disposition in your heart to be optimistically thankful for whatever God sends your way. Okay? it's the It's the natural natural condition of the human to be begrudgingly thinking that they should have gotten a better deal so i'm I'm going to assume that Dumas has a dairy queen. Does Dumas have a dairy queen? There's no dairy queen in Dumas when i you let your dairy queen go out of business. Hey, listen, Brahms is better. I like Brahms. I saw the Brahms coming through. Listen, I, I'm, uh, I am prepared for God to send me wherever He wants me to serve that they have a Brahms. Uh, you know, I think that's the only limitation that I have. We have Brahms in Greenville and McKinney, too, where I am, and that's, that's a good milkshake. That's important. I ate Brahms on the way here, so uh, not this morning, but yesterday. So, um, but here's the thing, I know the food at Brahms is good, man, I love the dairy at Brahms, I love the little grocery store at Brahms, I just don't know if Brahms suitably serves as a place for the farmers in the area to gather with one another, does it? No, not like Dairy Queen, it doesn't work for that. So, So where do the agriculturally inclined people around here get together? Huh? At the donut shop. Donut shop, that works, okay. So, you know, at, at the equivalent of that in the town that I grew up in, that's where the farmers would have their morning coffee, okay. Donut shop does that here in Dumas. Can I tell you what I never heard in all my growing up years at the coffee shop with the farmers? the weather is just perfect <laughs> not once did i ever hear that it was always it's too dry and everything's going to die or it's all growing but it's too wet for me to get equipment in there to do anything with it or this is a great rain but we needed it two weeks ago or you know it's always always something like that and uh, and and it a negative perspective on life, man, it can take root in our hearts and really, uh, that's different, isn't it, from someone who's joyful. Someone who's joyful can find the kindness of God in their circumstances, whatever they are. Whatever they are. Love, concern for other people, joy, an optimistic gratitude for whatever God brings your way. That, that's the kind of thing that lets you sing in prison at midnight. Okay. Peace. 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 Peace arises out of that confident belief that God the Father is your protector minute by minute by minute. So that you can look and say, you trust in him and it's going to be Okay. Did you know that Charles Wesley, the famous Methodist, that his conversion, one of the things that led to that was when he got to see peace as the fruit of the Spirit in some people who actually really knew Jesus. He was on a boat coming back from America. A storm hit that boat. They thought it was going to sink. Everybody thought they were going to die, as did Charles Wesley, who was panicky. And he managed, he went down the hold of the ship and found a congregation of Moravian Christians who in the hold of that ship were peacefully, calmly worshiping God while everybody else was losing their minds. And Charles Wesley knew that something had a hold of them that had never gotten a hold of him. And he wanted it. You know what it was? It was the peace in your heart. These are just basic dispositions. A disposition toward love. A disposition toward joy. A disposition toward peace instead of panic. That serve at the root of your heart. Now when those things are there, when God gives you the gift of love, joy, and peace, the next things that are listed here are patience. Patience is like where the 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 river of love and the river of peace flow in together. Patience is the refusal to give up on somebody else. That's ultimately what it is. It's, it's the ability to look at someone who's a problem and love them and also the ability to look at that person who's a problem and to continue hoping that God's going to fix whatever needs to be fixed in them because you're not going to panic about it because you, have, you trust God. And so out of a love for them and a peace about their circumstances, you become patient. A good church family should be the last people in the world to give up on somebody. May God find us hoping for the conversion of that lost hellion in the middle of Dumas that everybody knows has a reputation for being terrible. May God find his church hoping for their salvation, working for their salvation when everyone else has given up and thrown in the towel because God works over the long haul and is powerful and mighty to save. May God help us to be parents who endure in prayer over the long haul for our wayward children. who continue patiently waiting for God to answer our prayers. I love the story of this lady in the ancient church who had a son who had gone off from home and wasted all their money and shacked up with women and fathered children and was drunk all the time and never did actually go to school and get any of his work done. Broke her heart. She went to her pastor and said, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to tell him not to come home anymore. I don't want to see him anymore. I think it's time to just cut ties with him. It's that bad. He looked, her name was Monica. He looked at her and said, Monica, don't give up on him. I'm, I'm convinced that the child of so many tears as this will not utterly be lost. Her son got saved after nobody thought he would. The guy's name was Augustine. You may have heard of him. He's considered one of the doctors of Christianity, one of the saints of the early church. God saved him. Answering the prayers of a mother who wouldn't stop. Who patiently endured in prayer because she loved her son and she had peace about what God would do. I'm taking too much time. I need to keep going, but I love this stuff. I just Peace, patience, kindness. kindness. Kindness is not denying reality. The word that's used here means to try to find whatever you have to say or do the way to say or do it that is the least provocative, negatively, for the people who are around you. Um, when, I, when I went to start on doctoral work, um, I had, uh, oh gosh, I was terrified. I just can't explain to y'all how terrified I was. i gonna do PhD work, had my first doctoral seminar. I'm surrounded by all these people who actually know what they're doing. And um, I'm, um, and you have to write these, oh gosh, these papers. You have to write like these 30, 40-page long papers to turn in. They assign this to you. Not only do you have to write them, but the week b- before your week, you have to hand it out to everybody else in the class. And then the next week, you're in charge of the class. You have to get up there and present your paper. And then when you're finished with the paper, you have to let all those other people tell you everything that's wrong with your paper. And they call this education. Okay. And, and, and I messed up and did this in a way where at my first class that I had to do this in, I picked a topic. And I didn't know that the topic I picked would set the order we did it in. And I picked a topic that made me first. I'd never read a doctoral seminar paper. I had never seen anybody present a doctoral seminar paper. And I had to figure out how to do it. And so I put it together, and after all of your colleagues tell you what's wrong with your paper, then the professor comes at the end and tells you what's really wrong with your paper. And, uh, and I was terrified. And the professor was a guy named James Leo Garrett, who had written books and was widely regarded as one of the great statesmen of the school. And, and it came his time to speak about my paper and i had misspelled the word and he found that misspelled this was not the only thing he found wrong in my paper but he found that misspelled word and he said mr barber i'm not sure that we want to adopt the british spelling of words uh now look he made it sound like i had sat down and thought am i going to go with the american spelling or the british spelling here i think maybe i'll just go this other direction He knew, I knew, everybody there knew it was a typo and I had misspelled the word. It's just that he found the nicest way possible to say, You messed up. That's the biblical virtue of kindness. Do you see how that flows out of love that you care about somebody else? How it flows out of joy? That, that you want to optimistically find the very best way that you, the very best way that you can interpret somebody else's motives in a conversation, the very best way that you can interpret what somebody did, that you can find the best in something. My mom, recently gone to be with the Lord, was amazing at this. We would come home and we would don't judge me, uh, we would come home when we, were in, when we were in middle school, okay, where's my middle school principal? Uh, there you are. Yeah, you've come up here to the front, okay? When we were in middle school, I want you to know that I was a middle schooler, and like all middle schooler boys, I was terrible in some ways. And, uh, you know, we would come home, and we would, this is the moment when I lose half of this group. We would make fun of the girls that we thought weren't pretty. I know, I, I didn't think the guys were who I was going to lose there. I thought I would lose the female half of the, of, And my mother would be the one who would say, listen, invariably, the girls that we're talking about were from impoverished homes. And a lot of them were from really bad situations at home. And my mom would be the one to say, she's not ugly. I wish I could take her and pick up some clothes for her and fix up her hair, do her makeup. She's got pretty features. Tell you what, some of those girls grew up and mom was right. Um, But kindness means working to see the pretty features in something that everyone else will just label as ugly and be mean to. But you can find the least offensive, least horrible way to say something. Are you going to have, is ministry going to force you to have to tell some people some things they don't want to hear sometimes? Yes. Parenting going to force you to tell some people some things they don't want to hear sometimes? Yes. But I look back on regret with times that I was not kind and something that I said to my kids along the way, yes, kindness flows out of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness. I've got to move quicker here goodness good goodness it's hard for us to differentiate the meanings of these words in a lot of ways, but the but the the idea behind goodness is just the idea of being guided constantly by a desire for a good outcome for everyone who's around you okay it's it's to it's to want everyone to win it's to want everyone to succeed it's to have it's to have a benevolent spirit toward all of those who are around you see how that comes out of what God makes your heart like if you have a heart that's loving and joyful and peaceful you These these second three are about the way you react to the people around you. If your internal state of your heart is love, joy, and peace, when a a loving, joyful, peaceful heart gets up against other people, it reacts with other people patiently, kindly, benevolently. Then the last three talk about how having that kind of heart Affects the way we interact with our temptations. The Spirit of God will change the way you feel about yourself. The Spirit of God will change the way you interact with other people. And the spiritual and the Spirit of God will change the way that you encounter temptation in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The temptation to, to break your promises and quit. Faithfulness is a response to that temptation. We're all tempted to break our promises and quit. In a marriage? When people break their promises in their marriage, when they walk away from their marriage, when they're unfaithful in their marriage, you know, what I encounter in... Marriage counseling, when I talk to people who are doing that? It's because he did this. It's because she's like that. So they'll, they'll talk to you about how it's the other spouse's fault that justified them walking away from their marriage. i tell you, one good gift of God in this world of technology... Is that when you're sitting down with people to talk about their marriage, you can say, "Hey, bring your recording of your wedding. I want us to listen to those promises you made during the vows. Let's hear what you said you would do." Um. Here, here's the thing, though. What I find is almost always the case. Not in, you know, sometimes it's an abusive marriage or something like that. I mean, it's, uh, there can be really bad circumstances, but almost all the time what's going on is somebody has lost the love or the joy or the peace in their heart and it's made them dissatisfied they're wandering away from that that's why they're abandoning those promises that's why they're being unfaithful because they're unhappy with who they are because the works of the flesh are going on in their heart instead of the fruit of the spirit faithfulness when you don't have love, joy, and peace in your heart, and you hit the temptation to walk away from your promises and different outcome, than what happens when God's put that love, joy, and peace in your heart when the Spirit's guiding you? Gentleness. Gentleness is the ability to respond appropriately to the circumstances that come your way. It's it's the ability not to overreact. In a world in which overreaction is a virtue. (laughs) Gentleness is greatly needed. Greatly needed in our day and time. And I wish I could tell you that the pastors all over the place had this down cold. But man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. uh, uh, There is so much of um, overreaction, a lack of gentleness, sometimes among us, those of us who are leading you. Uh, whether we're talking about, I mean, some, some of you think that I'm subtweeting the Southern Baptist Convention here and some people, and okay, maybe, a little. But, but this is also true for, for folks who are serving at the local church level. I, I'm about to try to, because t- I know we have a lot of people in here who are congregational members of First Baptist Dumas, And I'm going to tell you something that I think will help you be a better church member that will help your church leaders to be better church leaders, okay? Because, gosh, so many times in my life as a pastor, one person was mad at me for something. And I knew it meant that I was going to be fired next week. Or, gosh, sorry, this is just kind of tender. I had a few years ago uh, a deacon and his wife come to me. I did marriage counseling for them for six months what I mean by marriage counseling is this I went to their home every morning at 5.30 and did a Bible study with the two of them and prayed for and with them every day for 40 days and they divorced I did not save their marriage and I tell you, for me, sometimes in moments like that, when a marriage fails for people who are key in the church, or when a student that I really believed in went off to college and crashed and burned, I just feel like a failure. When I see sheep hurt, wandering, destroyed. And I know that they were allotted to my charge. And I know that I'll answer to the Lord for them. And I tell myself that they needed better than me. Well, that's an overreaction. Jesus had an apostle who betrayed him and <laughs> sold him to his death. I mean, you got to put some responsibility on the other people who are around you too. If you're a member of this church and the time comes when things are not going well for your pastor... And it looks like he's lost his peace in his heart. And it looks like he's telling himself, because one thing happened, or there was one disagreement, or one family left, or whatever else, that he's telling himself, "I'm finished here. They're going to fire me." Or because Satan pounced on to devour one member of the church, or that, that, that it looks like he's telling himself, "I'm a failure." Will you be the church member who comes to him and says, don't overreact? For the the one family who doesn't like you and left, there are ten that came here and joined while you were here. For the one person who wandered away from the Lord and made a shipwreck of their faith, look at all the folks here who are faithfully serving alongside you. Let the Spirit of God give you peace to help you to respond appropriately to the things that are going on around you. I I praise God for people in my life who do that for me. Be that kind of person for the folks who are leading you. I tell you, we care and we carry the burden of caring. It matters how you help. And you too, you too probably need the pastor sometimes to come help you to know. Don't overreact to this. It's going to be okay. Let the peace of God carry you through this. Hey, good news, there's just one more. Self-control. Self-control. Self-control is the way that you react to the temptation of your lusts. we all have them and they're not only sexual the word lust in the New Testament is not exclusively a sexualized word I felt it rising when we talked about Bluebell a minute ago, or not Bluebell about about Brahms just a minute ago right sometimes I have powerful feelings when I see that ice cream cone sign uh, sitting up in the air and um, you know we just um, we 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 live in a world that says that the definition of happiness is to give in to those appetites and hungers. And that's the work of the flesh. It's easy to do that. It's easy to go there. Um, I had a friend who... uh, So so the topic today is not entirely about divorce, but this is another divorce story, okay? I I had a friend who walked away from his marriage. And, you know, they'd been having some tension, and I knew that, and I was trying to kind of speak in. This wasn't a member of my church. It was a friend of mine. And um, in the end, he walked away, and he said his rationale for that was, I decided that uh, God wanted me to be happy. Uh, and I just wish people would not say that to justify their sin. Uh, I, I think... I think when people say that to justify their sin, that in heaven you suddenly hear, (gasps) and I think that probably, you know, Simon Peter, who was crucified upside down for being a follower of Christ, has trouble understanding why (laughs) you can't make peace with somebody. That you ought to make peace with. Uh, I think the that the prophet Isaiah, having been sawn in two for telling the truth about Christ, may be offended by the way we interpret sometime this idea. God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be holy, is what God wants you to be. God wants you to be holy, like He's holy. And Jesus was called a man of sorrows, but he was holy. And he had joy in the midst of his sorrows because he knew that there was something greater to be achieved than the temporary fulfillment of his appetites. He had a joy set before him because of which he endured the sufferings and sorrow of the cross. And really, you know, that's why self-control arises out of joy. Self-control arises out of the ability to look at what God legitimately has given you and to say, this is enough for me to be happy. Ultimately, a lack of self-control, giving in to my lust for, whether it's my lust for anger or my lust for fornication or my lust for gluttony or my lust for gossip or my lust for, what, lust for whatever it is. Ultimately, the cure to that is to be able to look and say, Apart from those things, God has given me enough for me to receive it with gratitude and be joyful. So, God has given us these things. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And so, if we have a father who protects us and a son who is our boss, we have the Spirit present to be our guide into a better way of living than what the meat on our bones would lead us to do and so what we need to do what will uh, apart from whatever program you adopt apart from whatever structure that you have if you will let the holy spirit of god dwell in you and give you these things and give other people these things through you I don't think you can make any other mistake that can derail this. This is powerful. This is really, really powerful. And I think it's what the the world is hungry for. And so it would be a good thing for us to do that. I want to lead us in prayer. Gosh, I'm 12 minutes late. Goodness gracious. How have you endured me all of this time? I do not know how. I want to lead us in prayer. And then... Um, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I'm so thankful for the people at First Baptist Dumas who have given me 12 extra minutes today. Um, will you reward them for that, Lord, by things that I said that were maybe halfway true? Let them misremember it as though I said everything that was true. And be blessed and multiplied by morning spent in your word. I ask, Father, that in the year to come, I know this is the leadership gathering that these are the people who are leading this church Um, father will you help them to be people who act like they're born again and who are close to you father son and spirit in a way that affects what they say what they think what they do how they lead how they interact with people what they do when they're tempted that will that will work in their hearts in all of those ways enough that people come in here and say this is so much different, so much better than what I encounter at work than what I encounter on TV or on the internet something right is happening here Lord as much as I think that people might find that in the details of the protocol for checking in kids or in terms of ease of parking, or the nature of the music, or whatever else. I think the most important way they'll find that is if they see you and these people. And so, above all things, Lord, will you do that? Will you be seen through these people that lives might be changed? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll take, if you've got a question or two.
0: Yeah, I got the microphone. So, if... Anybody has one, say it in here so we can have it recorded. It's good to everybody be able to hear that. Any questions?
1: If you want to, one of you can take the microphone and ask the question. Can we leave now? Uh, That uh, that works too. Well, yeah.
0: Favorite ice favorite at Brahms
1: for a milkshake, milkshake mint chocolate chip. If I'm having a bowl at home, Millennium Crunch by Bluebell. Thank you.
0: Uh, Could you say something worth thinking and and praying through as a church uh, significantly, probably over the last year, leading into next year, is church membership. and We've gone through a couple stages of of deceased members, out-of-town members, gone to other churches and things, and now we're on um, a list that we've called our resident non-active list, which is people that are in town that for for one reason or another are just not coming to church and we're thinking through reaching out to them and things and you mentioned some things about church membership that I think will be good for that
1: I've talked about that all day today you just didn't know it okay the the people who are members of your church need to be born again you ought to be able to tell that they're born again If there's not really any evidence that they're born again how on earth can they do what a member is supposed to do for the church because if they're not born again they don't have that relationship with the Father they don't have that relationship with the Son they don't have that relationship with the Holy Spirit it's going to mess everything up and then the other thing that I would say is that the people who are members of your church if they have been born again and, they, and they're wandering okay, they're, they're, they're wandering in the faraway land uh, I would ask you to do this love them actively. Demonstrate toward them patience. And sometimes we've interpreted that as leave them on the rolls. But that's really not leaving them on the rolls is usually abandonment and passivity. They sit on the rolls with a name, okay? But instead you can approach this in such a way that you keep coming to them And saying, Hey, you're a member of our church. You said you've been born again. We don't see you at services. We don't see you at Sunday school. We said, What what do we need to do? Is there anything that we can do to get you to start coming back? Because really, you know, we're a covenanted fellowship of believers and we need you here. And we think you need to be here. And you can do that for folks enough where they will eventually come here or say, Would you please leave me alone? And the people who say, Would you please leave me alone? you need to remove from your membership roles. They don't, they don't want to be a member of your church. Okay? And, and the people that you can get to come back, praise God. You've restored those people to fellowship in the church. And Your pastor can't do that all by himself because he also he needs to minister to you too. And if he spends all of his time going after these folks who vanished, he's not going to have time left over for you. And that's not what you want either. So it's an all-hands-on-deck team effort to be doing this kind of thing. And it's just a matter of patiently loving and trying to win people back into the fellowship of the church. And so um, so I just, I just think that that is, um, I think it's very important. Our church has been through this process imperfectly. Imperfectly, but we've tried. Uh, and, um, and I, would, I would encourage you to do that too because, because ultimately, in the long run, it's a loving thing for everyone involved, and it's a loving thing for the people who have vanished from your church, but it is also a loving thing for the people who are here because if there's no differentiation made between people who have been born again and do have this ongoing relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit, no differentiation between them and between the people who are on your role as members with no evidence of any of that. What you're telling the people who are here is, really doesn't matter. It's good that you're doing a good job, but we don't really care whether you do a good job or not because as long as you've like been through this transaction to put a name on the role, we're satisfied with that. You don't want to communicate that. Because if people are in a position where they are hurting spiritually and they are distant from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you need the people who are in that situation to know that it shouldn't be that way. And you need the people who are in your congregation now that life isn't that way to know that they don't want to wander off into that either. So I think it's really important... I don't know if that's answering specific questions that you or anyone else has, but I'll just say that that idea of having meaningful membership in the church is a practical application of everything I've talked about today. It all leads toward that.
0: Anyone else? Questions? All right. Let's thank Dr. Barber one more time, and you are dismissed. Thank I'm supposed to
1: pray because you said after I prayed, we'd be done. So I'm supposed to pray. Let me pray. S- sit down, heathen. We're about to pray. <laughs> what a great group of people, Father. How, how joyful it's been. Um, the most joyful part for me has been just sitting down and talking to these folks. And uh, I hope that you've given some benefit to them for the things that I've set up here. Um, and as we go from this place... Um, We leave on Saturday in anticipation of Sunday. I ask that you would gather this congregation safely again tomorrow and that you'd get me safely home and others who belong to other congregations safely home so that we can be uh, a part of your celebrating family on your day tomorrow. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. That's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.